The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Mike Zuzalo is joining us with Global Commodity Analytics. And, you know, there's never such thing as a slow news day because something is going to happen, especially in these grain markets as of late. We have, though, kind of been flip-flopping as to what happens every day. Finished to the positive upside today. But, Mike, as you and I are doing the, this Fontenelle Final Bell, there is some... Uh, trickling in of news, shall we say, coming out of some working and negotiations between China and the United States. Yeah, I mean, it has been such a headline news-driven trade, Susan, and that's why we continue to fight these uh, trading ranges, and we just haven't been able to get above that 385 area in corn and really have petered out above 920, 930 in the beans because we still have that great big 800-pound gorilla in the room, and that is the U.S.-China trade negotiations. However, right now, the uh, Reuters and Wall Street Journal are both both breaking the news that the Secretary of Treasury is weighing the option of lifting part or all of the Chinese trade tariffs um, at this stage in a way to jumpstart the negotiations again ahead of the Vice Premier's trip over here next week. And this makes a lot more sense in light of the fact that earlier today, we, in my opinion, anyway, we heard that the U.S. and North Korea may actually be ready to have a sit down again uh, it, it, after several months of not being able to go anywhere. And I, I've always felt as though the President Trump's policy towards North Korea politically and in his foreign policy was directly attached to the economic and trade policy with China, because I think he's using the trade issue with China as a stick to get and as a carrot to get the Chinese to help us get North Korea into a denuclearized position. So I'm real hopeful that these two things coming together within 24 hours have some staying power and and they're meaningful. That's the key. Well, you know, we saw that uh, little technology flare happening in the overnight side. And, of course, soybeans kind of uh, latched onto that information. So it's nice to go from some negativity in the overnight talking about China to some very good, hopefully very positive news as today and tomorrow continue. Yeah, and this is part of the reason why I've been advertising on the Rural Radio Network a a reduced subscription rate for new Rural Radio listener subscribers, and I've cut my uh, annual subscription fee in half and taken it down to a six-month trial for $121.25 because I think after producers and ranchers see it and even commodity investors see it, and and notice how much we have to keep up and and elevate our commodity risk management plan Um, and hopefully i can help do that that they'll see the benefit of of utilizing that kind of information because we're in a i just got done doing the commodity outlook uh, for the rotary club here in atchison and what i'm really trying to get across to no matter who i speak to whether it's farmers ranchers or rotary club members it, it, it is that we have a timeline here in the commodity markets and in the greater financial markets to turn this ship around because we're starting to see real damage being done to the financial markets and that's starting to really create a a damage to the potential global economy in 2019 which looked very very strong six months ago 
And so I'm putting the timeline at the end of February, 1st of March, the same time period that the Chinese and the United States have promised to negotiate their way out of this. If we can't get back on track with China, they're a big enough player that they can hurt us in Europe to the point where the financial markets could easily, in my opinion, at that point, create another recession. And remember, I don't think a lot of people know this, three of the last four global recessions have been created from the financial markets, not necessarily the macroeconomic fundamentals of, of what's going on in the overall world economy. Good things to think about. Now, I know with, as you talk about China and what's been happening and their purchases of grain, we don't know really know a lot of numbers, obviously, because of the continued uh, partial government shutdown. And when those numbers come available to us, I'm sure we'll see a big influx with reaction on the markets. But we've also got in the back pocket the pressure coming out of South America as their harvest is getting underway. Yeah, this is where it, the the market right now has essentially been trading pretty much with the way we've been trading the last three to five years, that rallies are being created from supply and weather-led issues, not demand. And that's, that's a disservice to the corn demand especially, and to a lesser degree, the overall wheat demand, uh, overall pork and beef demand that we've been able to build up since 2016, 2017. The demand is very, very strong. It's just the trade can't rely upon it and say it's going to be sustainable because of these frictions we have with the trade and the tariffs, whether it's the NAFTA or whether it's the U.S.-China trade negotiations or whether it's with Europe or whether it's with Japan. There's so many irons in the fire when it comes to trade. I don't think the markets and the futures for commodities really trust the demand side, even though it's been very, very strong and even to a lesser degree in the soybeans, it, while we've been hurt by the China trade negotiations, uh, Brazil has really won a, a big slice of the pie, and net-net global ending stocks of beans are, are most likely going down, especially given what you're talking about with the South American weather, not just Brazil, but Argentina as well. I'm, I'm getting stories now from um, uh, contacts in Argentina that uh, as much as 30% of soybeans have not gotten planted in key growing regions and I think that helped us a lot today with the Buenos Aires Grains Exchange coming out and lowering overall planted acres uh, of soybeans in Argentina. Some are thinking that it's going to be down 10 to 15 percent. It sure looks like we're on that track. Well at least we're getting numbers from somebody right? Exactly. (laughs) That's the other thing is this dearth of information is really really crucial. Uh, When you get bad news it's magnified. And as we look at this uh, government shutdown and the effects it's had not only on the grain and the livestock, but what it's going to affect on the pocketbooks of these producers as it continues, is just pure frustration. It it does, and I think this is where between what happens in the ag sector and the overall U.S. government sector, um, you've got to wonder whether this is going to become a stumbling block. More of the Fontenelle Final Bell coming up after this on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Mike Zuzalo is joining us with Global Commodity Analytics. I tell you, if anybody has the pulse on what's happening in this wheat market, it's you, Mike, because it's in your backyard. It is, and it's funny you bring that up because at the Rotary meeting today, we had a couple fellows from uh, Manhattan, Kansas, right in the beginning of the heart of the hard red wheat belt, you know, here in northeast Kansas, where I'm at in Atchison. We still primarily have corn and beans, but uh, in those uh, fellows, after I got done speaking and talking about how the U.S. Wheat Associate sees the 100-year low in planted wheat acres for hard red wheat, 
uh, led by Kansas, um, that, uh, that that's going to be a reality. They came up after the meeting and said that that's exactly what we're seeing as well. And this is the bigger picture here, Susan, again, about what we talked about before we went to break, is that when is the trade going to come back around and trade that, especially that we're 15 to $20 a ton cheaper at the U.S. golf or soft red wheat than most of our major competitors. And it really goes back to China. I've noticed on a, on a study that I've been doing for clients and subscribers that on a seven-week basis, the copper and the wheat are running together in a positive relationship almost 80%. So if the copper goes up, the wheat goes up. If the copper goes down, 80% likelihood the wheat will as well over the course of a month and a half. And I think that just shows you how much power these outside markets like the copper have on wheat and at the expense of what our acres are and what the weather is. Very interesting correlation, that's for sure. And you have this situation now where we're really going to test that correlation, I think, because the European model is putting out their single-digit lows on the 20th, the 22nd, 23rd of this month uh, in, in uh, main areas of hard red wheat belt like Russell, Kansas, Salina, Kansas. Uh, those areas are looking very, very cold. And, and I, I spoke with one uh, subscriber just yesterday, and all the snow is melted at this point. So we'll see if the market reacts to that. Let's jump over to the livestock side. Speaking of the weather, we have got this storm system that's moving through, affecting a wide variety uh, of livestock operations through our listing area and beyond. From a cattle perspective, how much is being weighed down so far with this storm moving in? I think a lot. I mean, I looked at the feeder fat spread today before going on air with Dewey, and it was at $15.50 premium to the feeder cattle versus lead month fat cattle. That closed at $14.40 today. Uh, we're at a level not seen since March, April of 2017 right now, and I think that's directly related to what everybody's hearing, and that is muddy cattle, muddy lots. It's a mess. Too much precip and too much melding too early in the year and calving season is going to be a wreck if this kind of weather pattern keeps up especially if we turn cold now and below normal temperatures right when we get into calving so i think the feeder cattle is very much on point and has factored in a lot of this weather at this point and i actually am going to start writing more about probably purchasing and going long in the feeders if we can go below 140 here in the next 20 30 40 days Looking at the, the the feeder cattle, are we going to continue to see that struggle with some weakness for them in the coming weeks? I, I think maybe the next week, week and a half, we will because there is a cycle where while the fat cattle can go higher into February and then kind of peak out the second week of February, feeder cattle, once they start down the path of a downward move in January, probably don't want to let go of that until we get towards the end of January. So. I'm not eager to jump into the long side of the feeders just because of the seasonal, but as we get closer and closer to the end of the month, 1st of February, I think that would be a place to get on. And I think this goes back to the, the calving season. If we turn into a very, very cold Arctic winter, I think that'll really make it tough on the calves and, and on the, and the ranchers. And I think the market's going to have to wake up to that come springtime. Some firm pressure starting to redevelop within the lean hog complex. Can we see some African swine fever pressure on that? Or is it something happening here in the States? Yeah, I'm getting more and more of the mindset that we have done a good job of correcting the premium in the February hog futures to the CME index. That, about a week ago, was over $8 premium to the futures. And with the loin prices and cutout prices going down, it made sense that as the February gets ready to expire in the middle part of February, 
that gap and that premium in futures would close. Now that we're closing it so well, though, I think you're probably getting into an area where you want to buy dips in the hogs. I still think at the end of the day, Susan, that if the hog situation in China is as bad as I think it could be, that they will probably in China skip the supply chain of buying beans and crushing into meal and get pork bought first and get some live hogs bought as well. Maybe they'll do a combination, but I just don't think these summer hogs have much more than maybe 5 or $7 downside at this stage of the game. Good news for our hog producers out there. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying it can go sharply higher, but I think we'll bring the bottom up until we know more about what's going on with our trade negotiations. Because if there's one reason why we would lose more than 5 to $7, it's that we don't ever get any kind of an agreement. Sounds good. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you, Mike? Best way is to get on board with that subscription. Call me after the close, 866-471-2588, or get on the website, globalanalytics.biz, and sign up directly there. All right, sounds good. That's a look at the Fontenelle Final Bell. This, of course, is podcast. You can check it out later in the day through Rural Radio and krvn.com as well. And, of course, a big shout-out and thank you to Fontenelle and all the local Fontenelle dealers for their support. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell right here on the Rural Radio Network.